Welcome all back again to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, but now you are tuned into our OITE review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Wolwan. Uh, this is something that we have just started doing this month and we have gotten good feedback, so thank you all for listening to it. And those of you that are longtime listeners, do not worry. Our weekly podcast episodes featuring interviews with... Um, orthopedic surgeons and different people throughout will return so do not worry it will come back so without further ado please enjoy this episode another oite review and we're still going over trauma you are now listening to nailed it the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors jay fitz and wendell cole Oh, let's do it. It's time for some uh, good old-fashioned acetabulum talking. It just, it's funny. I'm just make, making a trip in memory lane. One of my uh, original calls to Jay uh, and I, uh, when we were uh, fourth-year med students, we were, uh, when this is, I think this is, might have been after we matched, maybe before. I think we were in like Columbia on vacation, but we are, uh, we we found this stuff like super hard to, to understand. So when we we're there, we brought our, uh, we brought our, um, our handbook of trauma with us and so i just i just had a flashback and i remember we were like riding in some taxi but we we're like going over uh going over like you know the, the acetabulum like the posterior column stuff before we were uh gonna go to wherever our destination was uh, it just it, it, i just had a flashback but anyways let's get to uh some acetabulum talk uh um, that is a taking a handbook of fractures <laughs> <laughs> on a vacation that is dedication yeah. there. i know right um uh so uh, let's move forward um so when we talk about the acetabulum a lot of things that you confuse is what is the anterior column what's the posterior column what are people referring to when they say this so let's just kind of go over some of the anatomy what what makes up the posterior column of the acetabulum yeah so uh posterior column uh, is the quadrilateral surface, uh, the posterior wall and dome of the acetabulum uh, down to the ischial tuberosity and the greater and lesser sciatic notches. While the anterior column is the anterior iliac wing to the uh, glute medius uh, tubercle, the lateral superior pubic ramus and the anterior acetabular wall and dome, as well as the iliopectineal uh, eminence uh, of the uh, kind of anterior pelvic ring. And uh, what uh, pelvic views are, are most commonly used to, to demonstrate acetabular fractures? Yeah, so, you know, we everybody gets an AP of the pelvis, which everybody should. And then you get these views called your Jude views, which are going to be termed depending on the side involved. But they're going to be turned the obturator oblique in the iliac oblique. And I, I remember I, I always had a trouble remembering which one was which because, you know, you, you get the x-ray on one side, it's the obturator oblique, but on the other side, it's the iliac oblique. And I remember uh, one of our second years when I was an intern, shout out to Hunter Hood if he's listening to this, uh, give you props for this, uh, that helped me remember this. But he was pretty much saying, you know, you're looking at um, the obturator oblique if you're kind of just like staring at the face of the obturator versus if you're looking at an iliac oblique, you're like staring at the uh, at the iliac oblique, like you're staring at that wing. So whatever you're staring at directly or have a great view of, that is what the oblique of that uh, of that side is. Um, but anyway, so what does the obturator oblique of the right side show that? 
Yes, so uh, like you're talking about, you're looking at that obturator foramen on FOSS, and uh, that's going to give you a, a good picture of the anterior column and posterior wall, uh, while the iliac oblique of the right side, so uh, like you talked about where um, you're seeing a on-FOSS view of the iliac wing of the right side, that's when you're going to see the exact opposite. So you're going to see an anterior wall and posterior column uh, yeah. fracture of that side. And Have you ever heard of um, pick and pow? I remember that was like a little mnemonic we used as a med student to remember it, like the um, P-I-C and then P-O-W. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't. No. I've... Yeah. So like if you underlined the I and the, and the O, like P p-i-c and then p-o-w if you think of the i is iliac oblique and then you have your po the p-c is the posterior column and then on your other one is p-o-w and the o is for obturator oblique and then that's p-w so it's posterior wall and then it's just the opposite so you know if you, if it's your pick here's your posterior uh column and your anterior wall versus if pow with the o obturator oblique it's going to be your posterior wall and anterior column so if you just need a quick way to remember it that's a quick way to remember it but I think understanding what you're talking about is, is a, is a better way, but you know, those are two different ways. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've never heard of that. That's I'm, I'm usually one that, that loves those sort of just kind of, <laughs> uh, kind of weird oddball ways of, re, of remembering things. Um, like, uh, I know we'll get to this in other talks, but like, a metaphyseal, like Salter Harris, two fractures in pediatric patients. Uh, I remember it as a metaphyseal injury instead of a metaphyseal injury. Ah, so, <laughs> I like uh, that. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Um, but moving on, uh, when uh, these patients get run through the CT scanner, what sort of uh, things are you looking for? Yeah, so when they come to the CT scan, uh, one of the things you want to look at is the uh, is a, a fracture pattern orientation. Um, so you want to, you know, typically your your main workhorse uh, for these is going to be your axial views when you're looking at your CT scan. So you want to note if there's there any intraarticular fragments or are there any fractures or any white lines you see in between the acetabular wall and the femoral head. If there's any marginal impaction of pieces of the uh, of the acetabulum, if there's any articular step off. Um, and then, you know, you want to check the overall uh, articulation between the acetabulum and the femoral head. Is it, is it a congruent articulation or is it off? Is there a little subluxation? Um, so those are one of the main things on, on a CT scan that you want to look for. And since we're talking about fracture pattern orientation, what does a transverse acetabulum fracture look like on an axial CT scut, uh, cut? Uh, yes, so a transverse acetabulum fracture on the axial CTs, you're going to uh, see a vertical line, uh, while a horizontal line uh, is associated with column fractures. And that really just has to deal with more of the kind of 3D anatomy of the pelvis that if you are able to kind of picture a pelvis in space going through a CT scanner, that a transverse type fracture uh, is going to it the only orientation it can be is a vertical line while you, when you're trying to fracture through a anterior column or posterior column it has to be a transverse 
or a horizontal line through those column fractures on the on the axial CT cuts. And um, uh, other commonly tested things are uh, what acetabulum fracture is characterized as a disassociation of the articular surface from the axial skeleton. Yeah, so you know these associated both column fractures. That's where you have that disassociation of the articular surface from the intact ilium and the axial skeleton. So those are going to be our both column fractures. That ilium, uh, the the articular surface, kind of just floating around, you know, for back for lack of better terms in space, and it's not connected. And speaking of that, looking at X-rays, what is the spur sign, and what radiograph is it seen? Yeah, so um, when you are uh, looking at an obturator oblique view, uh, so you have that, let's go with that right side again. Uh, you're looking at the right obturator uh, on FOSS, uh, and you see the, it's kind of a, a lateral based uh, a notch of the intact ilium uh, that is intact with the sacrum and iliac spine. That is what the spur sign is, is that intact ilium, uh, whereas the rest of the fracture is the uh, associated both column that's disassociated. Uh, and the articular segment is going to uh, medialize. So you'll see the spur sign more lateral on that obturator oblique view. And then uh, another uh, radiographic sign that you can uh, find is a is called a goal sign and what is that yeah so the goal sign you know that's when you have like a fracture dislocation of the acetabulum itself so the posterior uh, displaced acetabulum uh, combines with the rest of the acetabulum and on x-ray it looks like a flying seagull like you'll see one nice little uh like hemiron arc and then you'll see another round arc that's that posterior displaced uh piece and that's gonna be seen in the elderly uh, and that's kind of a, a poor prognostic sign and you know, we're talking about all these, you know, these different, um, you know, things that you can see on x-rays. And, and I know we talked about a, a roof arc angle. And I know right now we don't use it as much because I know these uh, that that angle, that roof arc angle was more um, put into play when we just mainly were looking at these with, with x-rays. And, and, you know, now we have, you know, CT scans and, and better imaging. But just for lack of better terms and completeness sake, what is uh, the roof arc angle? The roof arc angle is uh, similar to, but not the exact same as like a like the lateral center edge angle or the anterior center edge angle that you're using for kind of acetabular displacement or dysplasia or femoral acetabular uh, impingement uh, radiographs. But what it is is it's an angle between the vertical line through the femoral head and the fracture line that goes through the acetabulum and it's measured on the AP and the Judae views. And it's considered stable if the line exits outside of the weight bearing dome. So greater than 45 degrees from that vertical line drawn through the femoral head. And it's um, less predictive for two column injuries, but it, it can be useful in determining uh, kind of stability of the acetabular fractures. But again, I, we don't use it much here, but it's it's a good uh, measure to know. Uh, yeah, we don't use it as much here either where I'm at. Um, but um, when uh, you have a, an AP pelvis, um, 
and you're trying to classify an acetabulum fracture, what, how, how do you kind of go about that? Yeah, there are a lot of different ways to go about this. And I know I at least read in Miller's, they had a nice way of uh, kind of breaking this down. And I remember they took notes on it. Uh, but, you know, you want to look at your, at your first thing you do is you look at your iliopectineal and your ilioischial lines. Um, and you look to see if there is a disruption in either of those lines. If both of those lines are intact, that is going to that's going to be just a, a posterior wall acetabulum fracture. Okay. Now, if there's a disruption in the iliopectineal line only, that is going to be either an anterior wall or an anterior column fracture, because you know our, our iliopectineal line is going to be you know that more anterior column line, and the ilioischial is going to be more you're kind of valuing that posterior column. So if there's only an, a disruption in the iliopectineal line, it's going to be anterior wall or anterior column. Or if there's a break only in the ilioischial line, it's going to be either your posterior column uh, or a posterior wall and a posterior column fracture. Now, if you look at these x-rays in both the iliopectineal and both the ilioischial lines are disrupted, the next thing you do is you look at the obturator ring and see if it is intact. And I know this is a lot to kind of just go over via via audio, but if you take a look at some x-rays and you go through these, it'll it'll start to make a little bit more sense. But if the obturator ring is intact, um, that means it's either a transverse or uh, or a transverse posterior wall fracture. So again, if both lines are disrupted and the obturator ring is intact, that'll be a transverse or a transverse and posterior wall fracture because that line is not, it's not, going through the obturator ring so it's not a column fracture now if the obturator ring is not intact and both iliopectineal and both ilioischial lines are disrupted the next thing you do is you look at the iliac wing if the iliac wing is intact that is going to be a t-type fracture that's going to be one of those transverse fractures with that vertical orientation line that goes through the obturator ring if the iliac wing is disrupted that is going to be, uh, it can be either an anterior column uh, fracture or posterior hemitransverse fracture. So anterior column plus posterior hemitransverse or an associated both column fracture. So again, if both ilioischial lines are disrupted and the iliac wing is disrupted, you know something's going on with the anterior column for sure. And you know something's going on with the posterior column. So it's gonna be either in a both column or an associated both column fracture or an anterior column and a posterior hemitransverse. I know that was a lot to go through. So if you listen to that a couple of times and look at some x-rays, you may be able to kind of work that out. Um, so what are some indications for non-operative treatment of acetabulum fractures? Um, yeah, so uh, really these kind of non-displaced or minis minimally displaced fractures with uh, less than one millimeter of step off and two millimeters of uh, gap can be uh, treated with protected weight bearing. Um, a posterior wall fracture without uh, instability, uh, and we'll go over kind of how to determine the stability uh, here in a bit. Um, but it's and it's tough to really determine off of imaging if something is stable or not. But uh, the roof arc angle greater than forty-five degrees, like we were talking about before, uh, which is really just demonstrating that uh, the fracture exits. Uh, far outside of the weight-bearing dome of the acetabulum that um, these can be treated uh, non-operatively. And then uh, and more for the kind of elderly patients or sicker patients that 
if they have a both column fracture with secondary congruence, what that means is both columns are fractured, but the uh, femoral acetabular joint has maintained its overall uh, articulation without significant displacement. Um, and if there's severe comminution in an elderly patient where a total hip arthroplasty is planned, um, you kind of just let that fracture scar in and then you go in and, and uh, do a, a total hip in these patients um, at, a, at a later date once they've healed. Um, so going back to these posterior wall fractures and determining their stability, uh, how do you kind of walk yourself or walk through your juniors through uh, determining the stability of posterior wall fractures. Yeah, so you know these are these can be difficult. I know there's some area of um, uh, there's some some things that are debatable, but you know one of the one of the hard rules that people used to think of that is that you know fractures in, involving less than twenty percent of the wall are going to be stable, but that is not necessarily uh, true. You can also consider the cranial exit point of the fracture in relation to the acetabular dome as well. So you're kind of using all your clues. One is you're looking at the size of the of the of the fracture, and then you're looking where it exits. So cranial exit points um, uh, of the fracture are going to be less than five millimeters uh, from the dome can be seen in an unstable hip versus uh, exit points uh, greater or around or greater than 9.5 millimeters from the dome can be seen in stable hips. And this is more based on a study uh, done out of the uh, Journal of, uh, Tra of Orthopedic Trauma in 2015 by Dr. Firo Zabadi um, et al. And they looked at a, you know, about 138 hips. Uh, they examined them under anesthesia and they found you know, a little over 20 something to be unstable with a quarter of the unstable hips having a wall size less than 20%. So they compared the stable and unstable groups and they averaged kind of the cranial exit point and they found that there was a statistically significant difference between the two exit groups. So that's where we get this number of five uh, millimeters uh, from the dome in the unstable hips and 9.5 uh, millimeters in the stable hips. So just because they have a, uh, a, a, wall, a, a wall fracture of less than 20% does not mean that it is necessarily uh, a stable fracture, and especially if this is associated with a hip dislocation, because you have to think there must be some level of instability if the hip dislocated, even though the wall piece is less than 20%. So that may be somebody that you may uh, take for uh, examination of uh, under anesthesia. Uh, so anybody with the you know history of a hip dislocation or impaction that is seen on a CT scan. Now, um, what is the typical non-op treatment course for patients with acetabular fractures that meet uh, that non-op criteria that you explained about uh, less than one minute ago? Uh, yeah, so uh, just to kind of hammer home, one of the, the points you just made is uh, you will be tested on this, whether it's in your five years of residency or on the boards, is that uh, looking at these uh, even non-displaced posterior wall fractures, uh, evaluation under anesthesia is is critical to determine the uh, stability of that. And, and that'll be one of the answer choices is take the patient for an EUA and then fixation as, as needed. Um, right. But if we decide, hey, they meet non-op criteria, uh, a lot of times for non-operative type fractures in orthopedics, it's a course of non-weight bearing. 
but when you're looking at acetabulum fractures, um, you actually want to treat them more with a kind of toe touch weight bearing uh, or partial weight bearing of about 10 to 25%, just because the, the true non-weight bearing status for these, if you pick your leg up off the ground, your the joint reactive forces are going to be increased because your abductors and uh, adductors and uh, they're going to be pulling that leg into the acetabulum and can cause increased joint reactive forces. Whereas if you use a partial weight bearing, you're taking that joint reactive force out of the equation and uh, you're actually relieving some of the stress on the acetabulum uh, for that. So key to remember is partial weight bearing for these acetabular fractures rather than a true non-weight bearing. Um, but uh, so we went over the indications for non-operative treatment. What are some of the surgical indications? Yeah, so the patients that'll get uh, surgerized, uh, for lack of better terms, or undergo <laughs> operative fixation, uh, these are going to be patients that have the dome displacement greater than two millimeters. Um, patients that, if you only if you're just evaluating on X-rays, that have that roof roof arc angle um, less than forty five degrees, or that that fracture line uh, is going through that that weight bearing portion of the dome, so those hips are unstable. And any displaced fractures are going to be the ones that you fixed. Uh, if you look, if we're considering the posterior wall fragment size, anything greater than 20 to 30 percent um, should be fixed or just like we we're talking about a little bit earlier, any patients that have hip instability. So there can be uh, fractures that are only 15 percent of the posterior wall, but the hips are unstable. Again, you know, patients that have a prior hip dislocation uh, or, or marginal impaction, you want to make sure that, you know, those can actually be unstable uh, in that in that um and the size of that fragment may be misleading. So use your other clues, such as the cranial exit point as well. And then any patients that have loose intraarticular uh, fractures or intraarticular fragments in the joint, and any, uh, obviously, any irreducible fracture dislocations of the acetabulum uh, or, you know, where the femoral head is fractured off and that femoral head cannot be reduced and there's an associated posterior wall acetabular fracture. Now, now speaking um, of surgical indications, you know, we decided we're going to fix, you know, an acetabulum fracture, but which acetabulum fracture you see, you're like, oh God, this is a bad prognosis. Uh, you know, we're going to try to do our best, but just so you know, this has the worst prognosis of all acetabulum fractures. Uh, what is that going to be? That's going to be the T-type. So it's, it's really, it's, it's involving uh, both the columns. It's not an associated both column per se, because the there is still part of that acetabular dome attached to the axial skeleton, but um, the T-type is going to involve a lot of the acetabulum and it's uh, associated with the worst prognosis. Um, so uh, which is uh, better to, to operate on these patients uh, early within five days or let them sit and hang out in the ICU or on the floor for <laughs> Yeah, so and we we mentioned this a little bit on a, on one of our earlier episodes talking about um, early orthopedic care. But I think you know there may have been somewhat of a, a, a paradigm shift or a, a shift of transition. I think that before, not back in the day, but a little bit earlier in earlier times, it was thought that you wanted to you know let these you know wait for a couple of days and then get it fixed. But uh, now uh, early uh, surgery is, is associated with uh, improved reduction um, uh, in these uh, acetabular fractures. And that's going to be you know like less than five days. 
So we're talking about fixing all these, you know, plates and screws, hammers, you know, all that good stuff. But what are what are what patients um, with acetabulum fractures may uh, may benefit from uh, ORIF plus a total hip? So you get your little joints experience as well. So what uh, what acetabulum fractures benefit from acute open reduction internal fixation and total hip arthroplasty? Yeah. So uh, most of the time, these patients uh, that are most beneficial from it are the uh, orthopedic or patients of the orthopedic trauma surgeons and arthroplasty surgeons that are in direct communication with each other because that doesn't always happen. But right. uh, jokes aside is a severe pre-existing arthritis uh, prior to their acetabular fracture. I mean, it's kind of like it, fixing something that's already kind of broken um, is not going to provide a good outcome for those patients. So at least fixing the stable columns and then providing that total hip to help with their already pre-existing arthritis. And then when you have these uh, acetabular fractures plus a displaced femoral neck, you're asking a lot for these patients to heal both of those, especially when there's a big concern for femoral head AVN and a possible need for a second surgery anyways. So to kind of scoot around that is to provide a stable fixation of the columns via open reduction internal fixation and then a total hip for the ones that have a displaced femoral neck fracture that you know are already at a little bit higher risk for a femoral head ABN. Um, yep. And then, I mean, this would be, you could do an entire talk on just these uh, surgical approaches for the acetabulum, <laughs> but uh, just briefly, what are, what are some of your options and uh, what are some of the kind of concerns that you have with, with some of these? Yeah. So, you know, just like you said, you can make a whole a whole talk on approaching um, acetabulum fractures, but just to, you know, keep it um, a general review, you can do a posterior approach or a Coker uh, Langenbach approach, which is a, a very, very common uh, approach to use for posterior acetabular wall fractures. And that's kind of where you go down and split the glute, med glute max and uh, get down to those external rotators and, uh, and, and detach those and and you know you get your capsule and you're looking at your uh, posterior uh, your posterior wall that acetabulum. Uh, you can do an anterior approach or the or an ilioinguinal approach uh, as well. And you know that's where you're you know more anteriorly you're, you're going you know around the iliopectineal fascia and kind of going going down through that window. Uh, you can do a modified stopper approach, a little bit more anterior, and you're going through, you know, those transverse abdominis and, you know, rectus abdominis muscles, and, uh, you know, you're taking that approach. Um, and then you also have your extensile approaches, so your extended iliofemoral, uh, your triradiate, and then you also have combined approaches as well. Now, uh, what acetabular fractures are indicated for that posterior, uh, posterior Coker uh, Langenbach approach? Uh, yeah, so uh, like you said, commonly with the posterior walls, it allows for direct visualization uh, of that. Uh, also allows for direct visualization of the posterior column. And so uh, any sort of acetabular fractures that have those associated with it uh, can be approached for this. So like a transverse, uh, the combined transverse posterior wall, the combined posterior column posterior wall, and some of the T-type, and it's really, you. The, the key is that if there is a posterior type injury, you are more likely to go posteriorly, and if there's an anterior type injury, you're more likely to go 
anterior for those sort of fixations. So that's kind of a general rule of thumb that I use when, when evaluating these sort of fractures. But um, definitely very, very, very important to keep in mind because we are working uh, near the greater sciatic foramen uh, and notches and all that is the posterior approaches associated with iatrogenic sciatic nerve injury and also damage to the femoral head because of that medial femoral circumflex artery. So um, uh, I'm not sure if this is going to be covered later on. We can skip it later on, but I'm just going to go over briefly uh, things that you will be tested on as well to decrease sciatic nerve injury. You want to extend the hip and flex the knee. So uh, when you have these patients prone and you're going posterior, you're going to place a bump under the thigh to help extend the hip and then likely a Mayo stand under the foot to help flex the knee to provide some uh, decreased tension on that sciatic nerve. Um, and then the debridement of what structure is going to decrease heterotopic ossification when you're performing that Coker Langenbeck. Yeah, and, and this one I've actually seen my my attendings uh, uh, do it kind of like that gluteus minimus debridement. So some, some people use their little rongeur and uh, and debride some of that muscle. Um, so debridement, debriding the gluteus minimus, uh, minimus, and then you know some uh, some uh, surgeons uh, employ a single dose of uh, seven hundred uh, of radiation within seventy two hours, and that kind of helps decrease the rate of uh, heterotopic uh, ossification formation. Um, compared to just gluteus minimus debridement alone. So gluteus minimus debridement plus a single dose of radiation does increase your risk of HO or heterotopic ossification uh, formation compared to just gluteus minimus debridement alone. And we touched about kind of what fractures are indicated for a posterior approach, but uh, what acetabular fractures is an anterior uh, ilioinguinal approach useful for? Uh, yeah, so uh, one brief thing, uh, that gluteus minimus debridement plus that single dose of radiation, that paper was done in 2016. I'm kind of forced to know this. Uh, <laughs> 2016 by uh, Jason Davis when he was in uh, Houston. And why I'm forced to know that is uh, Jason Davis is uh, our trauma attending, one of our Ah, there we go. Here in Fresno. He'll be so. uh, listening to this and he'll be proud. Exactly. So he'd be like, hey, man, I, I, I'm the one who wrote that paper. So, uh... The only question I have is after listening to this review, have you subscribed to the channel yet? If you haven't, go and hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at Nailed It Ortho. If you have any questions or again, you think we said something wrong, I am completely open to anything I know. Uh, sometimes I may have misspoken or we have, may have misspoken. So if you hear anything that is wrong, please feel free to send us an email at nailedithortho at gmail.com. And until next time.